Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. So this morning, I want to talk about coming home. So I thought that I would set up a little bit of home. I bought some books from home. Yeah, I bought my mum's lamp, which she'll be fine with because she's such a props lover, right? She adores props. So I was like, she'd be fine with this. Um, But I'm going to talk about a parable this morning. Ash spoke about a parable last week, which I thought was cool. We're just setting up the parables of Jesus. Uh, The parables are just stories that Jesus used to illustrate things. So they weren't um, true recounts of things that had happened. They were just stories that he used for people to understand um, a point that he wanted to bring across in a way that they could understand it because it it had context to their their way of living, which means that they they don't always have context for us and our way of living now. Let's pray because then we can launch into this and God's going to direct it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for what today resembles. We thank you that we get to honour you today, Jesus, not just for who you are, but for the incredible thing that you did for us that means that we're now reconciled with you. We now get to enjoy the fullness of all of your promises. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It's you, Christ. And we thank you that, that your blood was so precious. And um, we thank you that you, you ripped apart all of the things of before and you've given us something brand new. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do through your word today. In your name we pray, amen. Awesome. Would you turn to someone next to you and just say hello? Just tell them how, how happy you are to see them in church today. If you don't know them, maybe tell them your name. That's a nice friendly exchange. So if you'd like to, you can turn or scroll to Luke 15 where we find this parable. Um, it might have a different name in your Bible. Um, it's either the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, or if you're reading the message or the passion, it's probably the loving father or something like that, which is awesome. We've got so many different titles for this. Um, So I'm just going to read through all of it. Is that cool? It's the Bible. We're going to do some Bible reading. So this starts in verse 11 in the NLT. This is called the parable of the lost son. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So the eldest son would get um, a double uh, inheritance, what the younger son would get. So the the eldest son is given two-thirds of the estate, and the the younger son is given one-third of the estate, just so you know. It's a bit of fun facts. So a few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, (laughs) a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked so good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, 
the, the speech prepared. I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer, lo- longer worthy of being called your son. And you notice he gets cut off here because he doesn't get to do the rest. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. So we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, plot twist, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And instead of being happy about it, he's a little bit skeptical. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've saved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so this morning, I want to talk about these two brothers. And something that helps Jesus' stories come alive to me is asking the question while I read them, am I in this story? Where am I? Am I one of these brothers? Am I both of these brothers? Have I exhibited traits of either of these brothers in my life? Do I exhibit any right now? And this is a very challenging question to ask, might I say. So I I caution you, do this at home. (laughs) Definitely do this at home. This is not a don't do this at home experience. This is a very much do this at home, open yourself up, allow God to speak into your heart. Say, am I in this story? Because I don't want it to just be a story. I want this to be an exercise and something that transforms me. And so we can begin to analyze these two brothers, right? So we've got the younger brother. He prematurely and very selfishly and rudely takes his share of God's inheritance. Uh, God's inheritance, his father's inheritance. But the father in the story is God. So, <laughs> um, so he takes his share of the inheritance. At that time, well, it's very much the same now. If we ask for our inheritance, we're, we're essentially saying, you're dead to me, or you might as well be. I want what you've got for me. That will be left to me when you die, but I want it now. And so this doesn't mean that um, the father went to a safe and took out money either. This meant that the father, um, all of his assets and all of the value that he had was in the land and in his livestock. So he would have had to sell a lot of that to be able to give it to this son. And so we know the custom of that time was that um, all of the father's status in the community as well was in the land that he owned. And so the father knocked himself down a few ranks so that this son could have the inheritance that he was asking for prematurely. And so this son takes what his father intended for him um, to be something that would set him up for life, right? So his father was going to die one day. He wanted his sons to have something that they'd be able to establish their own lives on. And this son takes it prematurely. It's his only chance really at his own um, chance at having having his own land, having his own establishment, his own estate, and he spends it all in one wild weekend. He goes out and squanders it 
Um, and, and that's why in this story, um, it has the title of the prodigal, prodigal son. Prodigal means to spend recklessly. It means to give everything. It means to freely spend everything that's possibly in your possession. And so we see why this is fitting for this son, because he doesn't think twice about the money that he's spending. I remember a few Christmases ago, Callum wasn't so interested in buying presents for us. He was like, oh, yeah. Maybe he's like teaching us a lesson that it's not all about materialism. I thought it was just a little bit lazy. Um, And so instead, (laughs) but look, the outcome was fine. So like it's it's all good. Instead, he said to Bridie and I, just take my card. And it had a chip on it, which you know what that means. Anything under $100, you just pay past that, baby. And so we were just, Bridie and I took a photo with it. Like, that's how excited we were. We're like, look at this power that we have been given. When it's someone else's money, you don't really care. (laughs) When it's someone else's money, you know, you're like, ah, I'll shout. Like, it's on me. All good. Just tap away. And so I feel like the son had this sort of relationship with the money that his father had just given him. He, it wasn't his. It was something that he knew had come from the father. And he was like, I could do anything with this money. And so there was no worth in what his father had sacrificed. All he saw was, you know, what kind of um, sensory pleasure can I get out of this? And how quickly can I spend it? And I, I'm sure it went a lot faster than he thought. And then we look at the elder brother, Um, and he, uh, actually, let's just go back to the younger brother to finish off his story. Um, When he has nothing left, he gets to this place where he's truly at the end of himself, Um, and he returns home, you know, with the speech prepared, and he's ready to work to earn back everything that he's lost that had belonged to his father. Um, But it says that he came to his senses. It's like his eyes were opened and he suddenly could hear the way he was speaking. He could suddenly see the way he was acting. And he, he came to his senses and was like, what am I doing? Um, and it took coming to the end of himself. It, it took coming to the end of, of the money um, for him to return home. And we can see that the father graciously welcomed him back. And then we have this elder brother who's got a very different story. Um, he didn't leave at all. He was very reliable. He stayed close. He was consistent. Um, We might look at him at first as being the good son. Some might think that he's an uptight son. (laughs) He's just longing to please the father. Um, But then we see in this weird twist of events, when his brother comes home, he turns into a nasty piece of work. And suddenly we're like, ooh, I don't think that I I really know this guy. Like, I thought I knew him at the start of the story. I thought that, you know, he was going to be someone that emulated the father's characteristics because he was hardworking and because he honoured the inheritance. But maybe he didn't actually honour what the father honoured in the same way. And so his real heart intentions come to the surface when his brother returns And there's this eruption of entitlement that happens in him. And you see his language change. And he says to his father, look, look, dad, your dear son. He won't even acknowledge his brother as his own relation. He's fully externalizing himself from this man because of all of the entitlement that he has in his heart and the resentment that he has in his heart. And so this parable might be called the lost son. 
And at the beginning, we might think that it's the younger one who's lost, but he actually becomes found. And Jesus ends this parable with someone still being lost, and it's not the younger brother anymore. It's the elder brother. The elder brother is now lost. The elder brother is now distanced because he is welcomed into the feast and he is choosing not to enter. And he has lost his connection with the father. And so today we're going to delve a little bit deeper into this story of these two brothers, but specifically this elder one, because I think that there's a lot of things in him that we might be able to relate to that maybe we didn't think about before, um, because he has just, you know, this little part at the end of this story that's a little bit hard to, um, to digest, and it's a little bit hard to understand. So this is our awesome father that's in heaven, um, that welcomes both of these sons in. You see, for both of them, when this younger son runs away and, and then returns home, his father, you know, picks up his garment. He picks up his robes and runs to his son and he meets him and he welcomes him to this feast. And we, say, we see the same thing with the elder son. When he is outside of the feast, um, the father goes out to the son and he says, will you come in? I, I invite you to come in and, and to share in this. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. There's music. There's the fattened calf. And this elder son is just so fixated on the fact that it's not for him, that he can't partake in it. And so we see these two polarizing journeys, you know, someone that, that did all of the wrong things and someone that seemingly did all of the right things. And yet there's two sons with completely distant hearts from their fathers. So we're going to have a look at sin this morning. And I want to break apart Sin in a new way and in relation to this story. So the Greek word for sin is hamartia or hamasha, or if you're Greek, help me out. Um, but the definition is what's most important. It means to miss the mark, to miss the point, or falling short, as we read in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, oh, I changed it. For, we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. And the glory of God is his utmost standard, his most exalted state. So we're all in need of this exalted, mighty God. And I've been, like, thinking about sin a lot lately because we understand this weekend as being the weekend where Jesus ultimately carried the burden for all of humanity's sin. And so I've been trying to understand what sin is what it looks like, what it looks like in my life. Um, is it something that happens daily? Is it something that happens outside of me, inside of me? And it's really all of these things. Um, but just understanding that, you know, and understanding God's relationship with sin. And I've been thinking about it. And just disclaimer, I'm a young girl <laughs> that many of you entrusted your children to me in youth ministry, which I so appreciate but to be completely honest with you, I have very little idea what I'm doing with life. And so um, this morning, as, as you're listening to me, I, I, do not, I do not take this lightly at all. I really honor the fact that, that you would entrust this to me, that my parents would entrust this to me, that our leadership would entrust this to me. Um, but, but what I say isn't gospel, it's just my understanding. And it's something that's slowly being unpacked. And so I'm on this journey of understanding. I definitely don't have it right, but I'm on my way there. 
And I might not see it until the other side of eternity, until one day I get to heaven. I'm like, oh, I had it all wrong. Um, but, but this is just my, you know, this is just my understanding. So I definitely recommend try this at home. Um, go home and unpack this for yourself. What I say isn't gospel. It's just my, my tasting and seeing of it at this moment. And so my understanding of sin and just this journey of, of understanding it is that sin, yes, it separates us from God, but, but it's because, and hear my, hear my words correctly, um, I don't think that sin necessarily is the thing that's bad. It's what it does to us that's bad. Um, and the reason that it detests the heart of God is because it breaks us down and it rips us apart. And so it doesn't mean that he looks at our sin and he's disgusted with us. He's disgusted with the fact that it's breaking apart the goodness that he intended for us. The reason that Jesus died for us is because, you know, they didn't come together in this club and were like, humanity's just ruined, they've wrecked it all, they're doomed, like now we have to go and save them again. Their heart was so grieved for us. The, the father's heart was so grieved to us that he's like, I've got to do something. Surely there's something that I can do to save them because they keep stepping into this way that's, that's ripping apart the good intentions that I have for them. And I, I believe the Bible says the wages of sin are death. And my understanding is something has to die when we sin. And sometimes that thing is us. It causes death in us. And we see in the Old Testament to atone for sins, something had to die. And so God, you know, instead of the um, result being that we died, that we broke down, that the shame, you know, broke us down so, so much, something else was given so that that death didn't continue to occur in us. And something else's blood was shed because otherwise it was too great for us to carry. Sin disintegrates us. It just breaks us down. If you've ever poured petrol on styrofoam, you'll see how quickly something can dissolve something else. And sin so, so quickly can dissolve our, our relationship with God. And um, I think so often sin distorts the way that we see ourselves and it distorts the way that we see our God. And you can see that in, in the story of these two sons. And the younger brother's path, there was obvious sin, right? There was all of these obvious things that he did wrong. And, um, but it meant that he was able to clearly see, I'm living in a way that my father never intended. And he went out and he, you know, indulged himself in all of these, yes, yeah, sensual experiences that didn't last very long. And then he came to his senses. But the elder brother was in this state that he was completely blind to, this condition of being absolutely distanced from the father. And, and so the younger son could see that he was far away from his father because he was far away. He was physically really far away from his father, but the eldest son was right there with dad, but the whole time never really quite got it. And so let's, let's delve into a little bit why maybe, maybe we can understand why the elder brother was left in this state in this state. Um, yeah, and I think it's powerful that Jesus tells this story because he was telling it to Pharisees, which were the guys that were about to um, elect him to be crucified on a cross. So he's really giving these Pharisees this chance to see, hey, I think that you guys might be the elder brother in this story. 
and I think that you might be a little bit lost, but he's, he's telling it in such a way that it will just knock on the door of their hearts and he won't call it out exactly for what it is, but maybe they'll just ponder on it and, and wonder, am I in this story? So, um, oh, I, I've been reading this book, right? So this is where I got a lot of my ideas from today. It's called The Prodigal God. It's tiny. You can read it in a matter of days. Someone's already borrowing it this week, so um, you're going to have to get in my library system if you'd like to borrow it as well. But um, it's just incredible delving into this story. And so I think an awesome thing that Jesus highlighted in this story is that we've got that, I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but we can sin, right, by breaking all of God's rules, by breaking every single one of them, of, of getting them up on a list and just striking them through day by day as we're like, yep, got that one done, yep, got that one done, do not murder, got that one done. You know, we can strike through all of them, obvious sin, but we can also sin by keeping all of God's rules in such a way that we believe that it's earned us our place with Him. And so we can become just as distanced from God and saying, I've earned my spot here because it's a powerful, powerful position of the mind to think that we've earned God's grace and powerful in a bad way. It'll overtake you. It'll, it'll think that you've, you've earned your place. And so um, I'm going to look at the God of grace this morning and you're going to look with me. Um, and so my first point is God's grace cannot be earned. Because we find in this elder son's story, when his younger brother returns, he is just so, so entitled to everything that he's earned. And, and by welcoming the, the younger brother home, the father is saying, I'm going to give everything back to you that you've spent. And that means that it costs the older son something. It means that the two-thirds that he was left with, he now has to split again. And so this eldest son is reacting because he's saying, no, I've worked so hard for this and there's no way that you can just accept him back in and expect me to give up everything that I've earned. And, and you see how, the, how his heart's attention is everything that he's worked to receive and not on the fact that the father chose to give it in the first place and that it was the father's that he'd actually worked for, that he'd established, that he was freely giving to both of these sons. And so that's the truth. But this, this son was just looking at, at how hard he had worked to get him, himself in that place and get him to this place of deserving. Um, and so I read in this book. Oh, it got to me good. <laughs> so the, um, the thing of, of this way of thinking is that if we're not careful, and I've been in this place before, so this is why I'm speaking openly about it. If we're not careful, um, we can think and we can reason that if we live a good life and we abide by all of God's rules, that he owes us something, that he owes us a good life in return. And so when something bad happens to us, we're like, God, how dare you? How dare you do this to me? And we start to list all of the things that we've done right. And we start to, you know, instead of keeping a record of our sins, we've kept a record of our rights. And, and so it turns into, about, into our rights. And we say, God, I am entitled to this. I'm entitled to your blessing. I'm You're a good father. And he's like, yes, I am. And you say, well, then you ought to give me this. And he said, that's not how grace works because grace can't be earned. 
And so this is, this is the powerful message of our God. He said, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. So don't try to begin with. Always see that it's, it's a gift. Always see that it's a gift. And so it says in this book, if, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you just because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper. He may be your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. <laughs> right? So when we, when we allow this... Um, this view of God and, and the view of ourselves and the view of our serving in this way, it can lead us into this nasty little place and we turn into this nasty little work that the elder brother did because we think that we can earn the grace of God when it was just a free gift in the first place. And mind you, it'll kill you. <laughs> it'll kill us. If, if heaven was something that we could pay for, we'd spend our whole lives working to earn the money to get there, right? If, if grace is something that we could earn, then we'd spend our whole lives just grinding at that and, and trying so hard to get to that place where we think that we actually deserve it. There's this story that um, Tim Keller uses in that book as well, and it's about a man that has a field and he grows carrots there. And he has a really good crop one year and he sees that his carrots are so much more impressive than other years. And so one day he picks the largest carrot that he can find and he takes it into the king's courts and he says, you know what, my king, this is the largest carrot that I've ever grown and probably ever will grow. And so today I, I bring it to you as a gift from my field to your courts. And the king is so moved by this act of generosity that he says, you know what, I've got a, a plot of land adjacent to your field and so I'd like to give it to you because I can see that you're a man that governs crops well and so I want to give it to you so that you can grow more crops and so that you can see uh, your gift in this area be expanded. And so there's another guy that's in the king's courts and he sees this and he's like, if that's what a guy got for a carrot, I wonder what else you could get from the king with something greater. And so this, this man's a little bit wealthier and he has some stables. And so he returns to the king's courts the next day with the, the grandest stallion that one could imagine. And he comes forward with it and he says, oh my king, today I bring to you not a small horse, not a Shetland pony, but today I bring to you a mighty stallion, the greatest stallion that I've ever bred and probably ever will breed. And today, my king, I bring it to you with my heart. I bring it to you out of generosity as a gift. And the king thanks him for his horse and then calls the next person forward. And as this man's leaving, he turns around, but before he gets to say a thing, the king, the king leans across and he says, yeah, yesterday that man gave me his carrot, but today you gave yourself that horse. And so when we bring something, thinking that we'll get something in return, it's a gift to us. It's not a gift to God. When we expect that we can bring something so great, God, I'm going to do all of these things for you. I'm going to see all of this glory of yours just rain down from heaven because of all of the great things that I've done by my hands. And you're going to bless me so much in return. It's, it's really all for our own gain. And it's never to see the things of God come about. So God's grace cannot be earned. We can't do all of these things to receive and to be blessed out of it. And my second point is God's grace is more than enough. 
And so if we come to this place where we think that we, we thought we could save ourselves, um, and sometimes that's the mistake, sometimes that's the sin, God's grace is more than enough. It, it covers even that. It covers even the attitude that thinks that we can be our own saviour. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Um, and there's this song by Hillsong that says, There's grace to spare for all my mistakes. And so all of the things that we get wrong, there's even grace for that. There's even grace in God for that. And it saves us from that um, doubting that we have in our minds. Um, when, when we become our own saviour, we think that we can save ourselves. We really, um, you can see that, what well, I've seen in my own life, that you start to doubt if what you're doing is enough for God because you're in this act of, of earning and, and serving to earn. Um, and, and you start to doubt, does God actually really love me? Does he delight in me? And the truth is that's a given without anything that before we could do anything. Um, but when we're, when we're working to earn it, we, we doubt it. And God's right there saying, of course I do, of course I do. But we're stuck in this, this grind of thinking that we can earn it. And my third point is, God's grace is free for you. And so I mentioned that for the younger son to return home, the elder brother had to give something up. And this story leaves us dissatisfied because we're really, we ask and we're like, well, why? Why would that younger son even want to come home if that's the older brother that he'd find there? Like, no wonder he left in the first place. Because he's just got this grumpy, entitled, mean older brother that won't even call him brother. We're left wondering where this, where this kind older brother is that we expect, where this true older brother is that we expect. And Jesus is doing this on purpose because we're left wondering where he is in this story. And we're like, Jesus is the true older brother. Jesus would have given him everything that he, that he could have. You know, he would have spent everything. And that's the truth, is that it's our God that's prodigal. It's our God that recklessly spends. It's our God that freely gives up anything that he could possibly give so that we could be welcomed home. He says, give him the robes, give him the rings, give him the sandals for his feet so that he might be welcomed back in. I'll pay the cost. I'll cover it. And that's what he did with, when he sent Jesus. When we come home to our father's house, there's an open door and open arms. And he doesn't remember, remember all of the things that we've done wrong. He maybe doesn't even necessarily remember the list of the things that we've kept, of all of the things that we've done right. Jesus says, I'll, I'll give up everything that I can. I'll give up my life to save theirs. And this is our Father's heart for us. This morning I thought that it would be great for us to have the opportunity if we found ourselves in either of these positions of being the younger son or the elder son. And I know it's a bit of a, a scary thing. You know, I was reading this book and I was really confronted by the fact that, that I exhibited these traits. And they don't look good. But I think when God brings stuff to our attention, it's not so that, it's not because he wants us to beat ourselves up. He doesn't point at the things in our lives and, you know, he says, look at all of the things that you've done wrong. Or maybe you haven't done wrong things, but maybe you've thought about me the wrong way. Or maybe you've, 
you haven't really truly loved your brothers or your sisters. And God doesn't do this so that we beat ourselves up. And He doesn't do it to condemn us. He doesn't do it so that we feel bad about everything that we've done. He does it so that we can set the path straight. When we're the judge of others and we're the judge of ourselves, we say, oh, look at the way they're acting. They're not really acting like a Christian. They're not really doing the things that a Christian would do. They act like this on Sunday and then come Monday, it's a completely different story. But God's heart, looking at the same person in the same circumstance, He's just, He just longs for us to have the goodness that He's made available. And so He doesn't say, oh, they're not being a very good Christian. He says, my child, I have so much more for you. I have something that's so much better than this for you, my child. And so his heart's grieved. He, he doesn't judge. He doesn't point his finger down. He says, no, wait, I've got something better. And you know what? Let's grab the robes. Let's grab the rings. Jesus actually paid the price so that you can come home and enjoy it. Come home, come home, come home. And so when we make that decision and, and we're like, you know what? I've been far away. And maybe, maybe we've been physically far away. We've, we've journeyed off and we haven't been here for a while and we're finally coming home. Or maybe it's that we've been here, we've been home, but our hearts haven't been at home. Our hearts haven't been connected with the Father's heart. We thought we could earn it. And He's like, uh-uh, it's free. If you could pay for it, you couldn't. You couldn't afford it. And that's why Jesus did it. And so today we're invited to come home. I was um, shown this verse earlier this month in Isaiah 30 that says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. And that's His heart. He longs to be gracious. He's not waiting for us to trip up so that He can point the finger and say, I told you, I told you you'd do it again. No, He longs to be gracious. We trip up and He says, I've even got that covered. I've even sent my son to die to cover even that, that biggest mess up, the biggest turn away that you could imagine, the biggest abolishment of the Father's heart. I've got it covered by what I did in Jesus. Thanks for joining today. It would be so awesome to see you at church this Sunday. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.